Sego. I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. I want to welcome you to the program. And hey, as I promised Reggie last week, we're doing this show live from the Outer Banks of North Carolina. And so here we are. We're at the Outer Banks, and I look. I, I we got to talk about it. We got to talk about what is the Outer Banks, what it was, and how very little seems to be known about its original inhabitants. So, and and I say that because. I, I've got to put this in perspective to my concern about the displacement of Native people in general from their homelands, but we're seeing some of this you know, play out. I talked about it a little bit last week with um, the Native Hawaiians in, in Maui, and of course, a lot of this displacement is being attributed to the, to the fires out there. And look, <laughs> Native Hawaiians have been displaced way, way more by the military, by tourism, by rich folks from the continent than, than every fire you could possibly imagine. So, you know, I've, I've got to put, put it in perspective. But, but I, I, in looking at what's, happened, what's happening in, in Maui, I'm kind of forced to say, look, look at some of the examples of places where we are totally non-existent, meaning that we, as, uh, meaning the, the indigenous population. So, all right, I'm joined uh, this week by my good friend, Doc Shaw Bay. And uh, Shaw is, uh, actually, she, she hosted my visit down here in, uh, in the Outer Banks. Look, I got to admit, um, part of it is, is not just a working, um, working trip. Uh, my wife and I are celebrating our 41st wedding anniversary. We, uh, Shaw hooked us up last year, and she hooked us up again. And I'm thinking I'm going to make this, uh, this trip a fairly regular trip because it, it, it's really nice here. Um, but I still got I, I to call it out. So, you, you, so for any criticism that I have about the Outer Banks, and we're staying uh, in an area called the Southern Shores, which is just below Duck on uh, the Outer Banks. Um, and I'll, you know, look, we'll talk a little bit about some of what, what, what my wife and I did while we were here. Uh, but I've also got to talk about what I did just today. Today I drove down to the southernmost part of the um, of the Outer Banks. Well, at least without taking a ferry, that is. I went to a little town called Frisco, which is down on the end of Cape Hatteras, because there's a museum there. Yes, it's a Native American museum. So I figure, well, look. First things first. Let me give um, anybody who's looked into a Native peoples in this area. Let me give them the benefit of the doubt and see what they got. Well, I got to tell you, didn't have much. The lady down there was, was perfectly delightful. She shared with me what she could, but at the end of the day, the erasure is almost complete. And you know, look, when you drive up and down the, the Outer Banks, you, you see all these names, right? These, uh, you know, what, what's the name of the, the, the sound? It's um, um, the highway you were on. What's Oh, oh, yeah, so it's Curry Tuck, Curry Tuck Sound. And, uh, and of course, anytime you see a name that might remotely be native, you know, when you look at it, you think, okay, a tuck at the end of it or hawk at the end of it or something like that, you, you know, first and foremost, they've bastardized the language terribly. So, uh, so this, this, this uh, sound, which goes by what, uh, Curry Tuck? Yep, Curry Tuck. Curry Tuck. It, and it's all a pimlico sound as you go farther down. But, um, Currituck Sound, and they said Currituck's, I, I, allegedly, the tour guide, because we went up and saw the wild horses as well, suggested that Currituck means where the, where the geese um, 
settle or something like that, where the, where the geese land. Don't know if any of that's true, because frankly, our language gets completely bastardized, not only in its pronunciation, but in, their, in its etymology and definition. So, but there, look, when you drive up and down this, you're going to see a lot of different names that, that may look like they're native. But you know what? Those street names, those landmark names, pretty much all that's left. So let me, uh, uh, let me first off explain that the original inhabitants, and I'm not, this isn't a land acknowledgement, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even going there. This, um, this area was, was populated and inhabited by uh, various uh, native peoples that were of Algonquin um, connection, you know, and, and it's hard to necessarily say Algonquin is, is one distinct people. Yeah, and it's from the south, um, uh, uh, the uh, Croatoan, Cro yeah, Cro uh, Croatoan is what they were calling them, or, or Croatan, I've seen, or seen it pronounced that way. Um, and then to the north, it was more like the, the Roanoke. But there's a lot of other native peoples that were Algonquin in, you know, uh, in their stock, so to speak. But there are a lot of other names. And, uh, and I had a few friends uh, you know, post, post some of them. that were, uh, uh, The Meharan, for instance, come, come to mind. Now, so when we're talking about the people on the, on the Outer Banks, you can't dismiss the fact that on the mainland, across the Sound... It was uh, prim primarily Tuscarora. Now, I say Tuscarora. Uh, you, you guys know I've mentioned the Tuscarora before. What I really mean is the Catantanawaga. And Tuscarora is kind of a, a nickname or a name that got associated with the Catantanawaga because of their work with hemp in terms of hemp products, you know, cloth and rope and that, and that kind of stuff. But their name, Catantanawaga, by no coincidence, means the people of the land of the Cypress or what they call sometimes the sunken pine. And in fact, I posted a great picture of a cypress tree uh, uh, on my Facebook post. And, uh, and as I went through the museum, they made mention of the cypress. They didn't make much of a mention of the Tuscarora, that actually where the cypress is, is kind of their namesake. But, um, but anyway, this is, this is what I, I couldn't help but notice. Look, there are hardly any people that are not white in... Um, in this area, I mean, uh, especially from a tourism standpoint, very, very few. And from a resident standpoint, look, the, the, the town of Duck, I think, only has like 800 permanent residents. It's not very well populated. But I think they've got like three or 4,000 houses here <laughs> because it, that's the industry, right? It's, it's all set up as timeshares and rentals and that kind of stuff. Now, I have seen some, some working staff. Um, uh, that were uh, people perhaps of, of his, Hispanic um, ethnicity. Um, uh, I've seen, I'm not saying I haven't seen any black people. I'm not saying I've seen none. But I've, I mean to tell you, almost no Native people and very few people uh, that are, what people say, people of color. I don't necessarily like that expression. But, uh, but anyway, it is lots of white folks. Friendly white folks. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying they're not friendly. Uh, it's, it's one of the charms of, uh, of the area here is that, uh, uh, that the people are friendly. I do have to say, though, I was, at, I was in line at a store, and, and while we were checking out, uh, we talked to the person in front of us. It was a nice lady, and we, we were talking to her, my wife and I. And when we got up to the checkout, the, 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 the woman checking us out says, now that lady was just too nice to be from New York. And she says, where are y'all from? Uh, well, south of Buffalo, New York. <laughs> she totally busted her. She, yeah, I mean, her, her assumption is that 
if you're from, I don't know, north of the Mason-Dixon line, I guess, you must be rude or something like north that. Of Richmond. What's that? North of, north of Richmond. Okay, there we go. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about the antebellum south. Uh, in fact, you use that expression today when we talk. And which, I don't use that word all the time because it has mixed, um, well, it has a lot of different uh, meanings and uh, significances. But so anyway. Mostly not good. Yeah, mostly not good. Shaw, you're really, your, your voice doesn't carry quite as loud as mine, so you've got to really belt it out into this mic. So um, we're using one mic, and we're, we're sharing it. For those of you who are listening on radio and not watching us on Facebook Live. Um, by the way, let me just uh, go back and do an aside here. I do welcome you who, who are listening to the program. Uh, we, we broadcast this show on WBAI and WPFW, the two Pacifica stations on the East Coast. Um, and I'm grateful to have the space on their, um, their grid, their, their broadcast grid, to be able to t talk to you about issues that most people, frankly, don't talk about. And, and, and this is one of them, this idea of displacement, and, er and not just displacement, but erasure is one of them. So I do want to encourage those of you who are listening to the program, and look, even if you're listening on Facebook or watching us on Facebook, or if you catch this show as a podcast, and I put it up as a podcast immediately after the show, I still wish that you'd support uh, WBAI and WPFW. And, and frankly, I know there's a couple of other Pacifica affiliates that might be uh, carrying the show, if not on a weekly basis, on a fairly regular basis. So if you hear us on Pacifica, so please support the Pacifica station. I, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, um, it's, it. It is rare to find any uh, media platform that, I mean, look, we can bust into media platforms. Some of them are free, and we, we do broadcasts uh, or uh, we do podcasts, and we, you know, we, we do all kinds of things. But to have a company provide space is still the exception. You know, it's funny. I mentioned land acknowledgement earlier, and that's, we hear this all the time about acknowledging the people that were here, which in some cases kind of rubs our face in the fact that we're not there anymore. So I always tell people, if you want to do something, don't just acknowledge that we once were here. Acknowledge that we are here and give us space. You know, let's talk about land back. Let's talk about broadcast grid. Put us on the radio. Put us on television. Put us in film. Let people know who we are because there has been a consistent and continuous effort to erase Native people. And then, and it's funny because it's erasure, but it's also redefining. It's, a, it's also this attempt to say, we're going to tell you what Native people are. And that's what the whole mascot issue is, right? It's about, about saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to call ourselves the such and such warriors or Indians or savages or Red Raiders or whatever else. And we as a school of predominantly non-Native people, we're going to define what, what an Indian is. And, you know, it's wrong. I mean, look, even when I went down to the museum today, again, hour and a half drive from where I'm at on the Outer, Bank, Outer Banks to get all the way down to Frisco um, on the lower end of the Outer Banks, the immediate pictures you see are all going to be stereotypical images, uh, chiefs with he full headdresses on. Now, it is a Native American museum, um, and there's only one small section when you go in that talks about the... Um, uh, the local natives, and there ain't a lot to say there. You know, ju it's really just an acknowledgement that, that we were here, uh, but it's real unclear who we are. There's no connection to any of the people who once inhabited the Outer Banks um, to any quote-unquote state or federally recognized tribe. In fact, there's no one to reach out to um, that I'm aware of that has 
a very complete history of the presence here. Now, I, I do know some people who, who have some stories. Um, and, and there are some people I heard on the Outer Banks here that are trying to um, vie for state recognition and they're passing themselves off as chiefs and tribes and, and it may or may not be true. I, I'm not gonna do a whole another pretendians uh, program here, but, um, but it, it has been problematic to see people um, trying to capitalize on the absence of information by, uh, by suggesting that they know things that they can't back up with any uh, anthropological or archaeological you know, uh, evidence and that kind of stuff. But um, Yeah, but they want to change the past. And because the past doesn't really exist in the past, if you look at the quantum world, it exists right now. So if you change the past and you change what was, then you can change the future and you don't have to address what's happened. You can say it didn't really happen and now we can just move on. So I don't have to teach that because it wasn't really there. Well, and, and, and in, in a situation like, like here, for instance, you can also romanticize it. You can romanticize, exactly. you know, uh, what the Native people, who we were, what we were, what the relationship was, because you're not backing it up with any data. So, you know, that therein lies part of the problem. I mean, there's, look, when the English colonists or, or settlers first came to this area, they tried to set up shop, and they failed miserably, you know, probably several times. In fact, there's a you know, a bunch of stories associated with what they call the lost colony, which is right. all the lost colony was, was a failed settlement that when the person who was really documenting that settlement went back to England and came back, it was gone. And so they always referred to this lost colony. And there's all kinds of stories that, uh, oh, the, the, the white people were absorbed by the, by the native peoples that were here. And, you know, it's entirely possible a few survivors were taken in and helped by, by native people in, spe in spite of the violence that they had already experienced at the hands of the British, it's entirely possible. We, we know that, that that story has existed throughout the, the history of contact with Europeans where native communities have, have embraced the non-native um, women in particular because they seem to be, have been the most vulnerable to at the hands of white people. We hear the stories all the time. In fact, Ben Franklin used to remark about any, in any situation where white women were, were liberated from their native captors, and returned back to their white communities, they took every opportunity they could to, um, uh, to, to get back to live amongst Native people because there they had lives, they had freedoms, they had respect and, uh, and equality where they certainly didn't have it in, uh, in any of the colonial you know, uh, settlers, uh, settlements in, in the, uh, you know, that the British were, or British, the French, the Spanish, any of them were responsible for. The great powers of Europe. Yeah, the, the, those great Scare sophisticated folks. powers. Hey, I just heard, you know, by the way, I, I, I mentioned this to you, Michelle. I heard a, a commencement address by the governor, I think it was of Illinois. And what he was saying is if, if you know, the best evidence of ignorance comes in the behavior of cruelty. And he, he, and he talked about how the idea of being empathetic and overcoming the fears of, the, of others um, is an evolutionary trait. And as he's listening, as he's saying, talking about this, and, he, and he's really trying to condemn cruelty, obviously, but this whole idea of oppression and, and, and all that, all I could, th could think of was the cruelty that, that colonization in general represented. And the fact that the very, those very same European powers were oftentimes trying to equate native people, pagan people, with being 
ignorant, savages, primitive, uh, unsophisticated, um, ignorant, all of these things. When in, in reality, the, again, just quoting this, this commencement address, the biggest evidence of, uh, of ignorance uh, comes in the form of cruelty, which, which colonization you know, involved slavery and genocide, murder, um, you know, kidnapping children. I mean, when you think about the, the full gambit of things that Europeans did to Africans and indigenous people here, um, I mean, it begs the question, well, who are the ignorant ones? <laughs> who, who are the ones? You might, my, my, that you, question's been asked and answered. <laughs> Well, my, my, uh, one of my mentors, you know, the guy responsible for the, the book launch we did in New York uh, several months ago, Louis Hall, we knew him as Gorunyak Taje, um, he was once interviewed and he, and he, he was suggesting multiple ways that, uh, that Native people had evolved farther from the um, animals than, than white people. And, but the only one that, that always got repeated was the fact that um, uh, we, don't have, we don't have body hair. We, <laughs> and he says, there's this evidence right there. You look at the hair on, a, on, a, uh, you know, on some of these people from, from Europe, and clearly they have not evolved as, uh, farther from the hairy beasts that, uh, you know, that once... <laughs> to use their own terms. Yeah, to use their own terms. But frankly, I think the evidence of cruelty and em versus empathy is a better example. And frankly, it's probably a little bit more from an anthropology standpoint um, in a bi biology standpoint, you, you can probably see, see that that's probably, uh, you know, represents a little bit more truth. Um, well, it also represents, when you come from a place of scarcity, and no one is going to, with any intelligence, tell anyone that Europe did not experience a great deal of scarcity. There was a great deal of scarcity for everything, for land, for resources. Uh, the cold didn't allow you to grow as many things, as many places, as, yes, Ukraine is moving further into... Uh, the Asian side of things, but we were not going to get into all that. Well, but, but, but a lot of that scarcity was, uh, was tied to greed. I mean, as, right. long as, as long as you got people trying to grab up every resource and, and everything of, that's of any value, then also just you, cre you, you create scarcity yeah. by, by, the same, you know, by accumulating. They, right, but they have a mentality, yeah. and that's not that I'm making this up, not saying it's to hurt anybody's feelings, because a lot of the things that are said, people take in a way well, you just hate this, this, and that. This has nothing to do with hate. The reality is things are much scarcer in Europe. That's why it wasn't as well populated. You're talking about less than 10% of the population is actually of European ancestry. If you go with people who say that they're European and something else or whatever, then you get another 5%. But you're talking about at max 15%. There's a reason why most people did not want to be in Europe. Well, but, but again, I got to push back on the fact that Europe as a place was, um, was part of the reason for the scarcity. Because let's, let's face it, European settlers who have uh, you, you know, taken so much of our lands, they've created scarcity here, the most abundant well, place in the world, but when and, you they've create, that, and they've created scarcity. Right, but we have that mentality, and we're not talking about something that happens over 10 years, 15 years. We're talking about things that happened over 100, 1,000 years. It's... When you can step outside your house and say, what's for breakfast? And you look around and you can just grab it and say, okay. When you can say that I'm mad with my neighbor or whatever the reason is, I don't want to see you for the next few days and you just move literally down the road because you have that kind of space. Europe is, and this is anthropologically, because of the cold and because of the fact 
of their growing seasons are much, much shorter. Everything about living there is about scarcity. Yes, they made it far worse because those who have wanted to make sure they would always have, and those who don't shouldn't because then they would make it a whole big well, thing. Well, and that kind, of, that kind of brings me to one of the other issues we're, we're, uh, we plan to talk about today. I mean, I mentioned it last week, and, and my concern for the Ganaka Maoli, the native Hawaiian people, um, especially in the wake of this fire, because the fire just just ravaged that one area of Maui so badly that um, that many people were displaced. And in the immediate aftermath of the fire, there were people running around making offers to buy out land, burnt out properties. And so, you know, what immediately comes to mind is the displacement of Native people. And Hawaii, look, they aren't the Outer Banks yet, but from what I understand, only about 10% of the Native Hawaiian population can even afford to live in their homelands. Most of them have moved to the continent because the between the military, tourism, and rich folks from the continent, they've driven the price, and of course, U.S. policy in general. I can't leave out the Jones Act, but uh, they've, it's driven the price of everything in Hawaii so high that unless you are affluent, unless you are totally government-subsidized, su or in the case of tourism, subsidized by, by wealthy tourists, you can't afford to live there. $7 for a gallon of milk? I mean, I don't even know what a gallon of gas goes for at this point, but it's, I, the, the numbers are off the, you know, off the charts. And the largest percentage of homeless people in Hawaii are the native Hawaiian people. And so I, I looked, remember that most of this is creative. Oh, absolutely. Completely I mean, creative. look, there was nothing, there was nothing expensive about, uh, expensive about living in, in, in paradise, you know, for the native Hawaiian exactly. people. What happened is everybody else wanted it. And, you know, so, I mean, even when you talk about the illegal occupation of Hawaii, it starts with, with white people who were allowed to come in and become Hawaiian citizens. They actually were allowed to, you know, to, to gain Hawaiian citizenship. And then they turn around and say, okay, we're going uh, to overthrow the, the monarchy and we're going to kidnap uh, uh, Queen uh, Lilo Kilani and we're going to you know, lock her up and we're going to tell the United States, we are now the, uh, the Republic of Hawaii and we want to be annexed. And of course, the whole thing was illegal. But, it, but those, those were wealthy white people, you know, many of them from the New England area, Boston and that kind of stuff, who went there because they knew they could make money in, you know, names like Dole come to mind. Um, but, but it wasn't just making money off of, off of fruit and produce. They were making money. They knew that sugar was, was you know, uh, was a really um, valuable speculative commodity. And so that's what they went. They went to Hawaii to, to do sugar plantations. And, you know, and, and, and again, so as I, as I sit and here understand what a sugar plantation does to the indigenous landscape. Well, it, well yeah, it, it wasn't, um, uh, um, that, that's, uh, sugar's not from there. Exactly. <laughs> it's, not, it's not an indigenous crop. In fact, most of the stuff, even pineapples, I don't think are indigenous, or bananas, they brought in a bunch of these other, other um, fruits that, that they thought they could be popular and, and make money off of. But most of what is now the Hawaiian agriculture is not indigenous crops, in, in, in including and especially sugar. But and that's a large reason why the fire just went through so quickly. There were no breaks. There was no anything. Because everything that's there right now, when I say everything, people, please don't take me completely literally. A large portion of what's there doesn't belong there. And it is more thrown to fire, it is more prone 
to wind. It's more prone to all kinds of other things that the natural landscape would have been able to mitigate. Well, and I, I look, I know there's a lot of investigation going into the cause of the fires or attributing it to like the power plants and that kind of stuff, the electrical grid. Um, there's no question that climate change plays a factor in, in the arid nature of, you know, some of, of much of the places that are battling fire, Canada, Oregon, right, California. That, that climate change is occurring because you keep planting things that don't belong there. Well, or, and, and you're emitting, you know, exactly. inc incredible amounts of carbon. So, exactly. so I mean, I, and so I, I'm not going to speculate on all of the root causes of, of the fire. I think it seems like it was managed poorly. And clearly, I didn't see a whole lot of, um, Oprah didn't get burned out. I didn't see a whole lot of rich people burned out. But I see an awful lot of people who are, who are marginalized in the first place being further marginalized by, by this tragedy. So, but isn't that the great powers of Europe? Isn't that the way that, that things always go? Well, pretty much. Pretty that's, much that's, that's the way it goes. I yeah, mean, that's, that's pretty much, as they say, that's their calling card. Is yeah. That we, we, the base tends to protect that which is quote unquote above the base so that they are always protected and the base gets the brunt of all the ill. Well, and then of course, Joe Biden flies out there, you know, does the typical president thing, show up at a, at a place of disaster and make all these assurances and promises. But, and from, from what I heard, he pretty much got booed by the, by the native Hawaiians. Now, I don't want to suggest that the native Hawaiians are pro-Trump and anti-Biden. What they are is they're anti-American. The whole idea of trying to turn native Hawaiians into an Indian tribe, which was part of the Biden-Obama uh, administration's objective, that's something that set very, very poorly with the, uh, with the native Hawaiians. So the fact that Biden would not be well-received, in, even in the face of this, you know, this tragedy, uh, is not that much of a surprise to me. I mean, I, I think, I, you know, I, look, there's a lot of token gestures that get made by, uh, by people who sit in these offices, presidents of the United States. Obama made a bunch of them, but it, uh, and, and, and Biden, and Biden putting Deb Hallen, a native person, as the head of the Interior Department. To me, I, look, if she was really worth her salt, if she was really this great and an advocate for native people, well, then I can only view it through the lens of, well, we lost one then. We lost one to the other side, because she doesn't work for us. She works for Joe Biden. She worked for the white guy in the White House. And we didn't put her there. In fact, Native people didn't even elect her. You know, I'm not saying Native people, that no Native people voted for her, but for the most part, you don't make it into Congress. Just to clarify, she was a Congresswoman before she was put into this position. But you don't make it into Congress unless you get, um, uh, unless you convince white people to vote for you. And, and it's real easy for somebody to say, well, we're going to promote a Native person in this position or that position because they can look at Native people as just kind of benign, almost white. I mean, we, we saw the same thing with Diane Humatiwa when she uh, was recommended to, for a judgeship in Arizona, recommended, by the way, by John McCain and Jeff Flake, Republicans. And, and not only Native people, but, but white people thought, oh, that's great. Yeah, a Native judge. Isn't that wonderful? Well, it ain't so wonderful for Native people. So far, the, the cases that she's ruled on that, that had um, Native people's interests at stake, she ruled against Native people. And, and maybe she even felt like there needed to be this push because if she ruled in favor of Native people, it would make her look bad. She would, you know, she, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, I mean, nobody has a problem with a white judge rules over white issues. Um, 
they still have some issues when a black judge rules over black issues, but I guarantee that if a native judge made a, 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 pro, a, a favorable ruling towards native people, people would say, oh, she should have been recused. She shouldn't have been there. And, and we, we would have heard all of that. But that's so. always the, the game plan. That's always the thing, is that you, they've been doing this to divide and conquer. You, you learn this even in, when you go to um, military training. Um, Boot camp I'll, I'll and that admit, kind of stuff, yeah. I'll admit that I was given an ROTC scholarship. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately for me, I was too young. And my mother promptly said, oh, no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so we, we have some courses, and they talk about it. But that's one of the, the basics. You divide and conquer. So when you look at anyone who gets a position in this particular society, you have a responsibility to, quote, unquote, the Constitution. And your responsibility to that Constitution has been taught to you by people who have a particular view of the Constitution. So everything we do, whenever we are interacting, and when I say we, I say that because my ancestry is First Nations and African. My ancestors were able to get away because they interacted with First Nations people. And that's just a reality that we never speak of at but, all. But, but again, I mean, because of your situation, you were never um, enabled to be um, or, uh, reunited with, with Native community. Definitely. So you, you've had to grow up in, 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 Amer in Americana, essentially. In a vacuum. And, and in the absence of any of that stuff. So you don't have that connection to the Native but, culture, but language. But that was the whole and, point. And, right. No, that, and, and that. I, only, I, I want to say that just because, and this isn't a criticism of you, but mm -hmm. I say it because... Um, Having Native ancestry oftentimes you know, creates a certain affinity towards, towards some of these issues, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that road is paved for you to follow. It's not paved at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. that, that's my whole point, is that it's not paved, and it was chopped off with glass to make sure that that connection could never be made, so that wherever we could get away, we were actually, people say maroons, but we were marooned. We were literally marooned. So... You were cut off at one end, you were cut off at another end, and you had to make a whole new way. But the truth is, the ways that we made, like you talk about Harriet Tubman, her abilities to do what she did in large measure had to do with understanding the lay of the land. No European explained to her the lay of the land. Yeah, she didn't learn that in a vacuum either. She obviously no. had interaction with indigenous people that facilitated. And, exactly. and look, the indigenous contribution to the Underground Railroad is greatly maligned or ignored or erased. It's erased. And, uh, it's completely erased. And, well, I, I'm still here. I'm still talking about it, so I'm not erased. But No, um. but no. But <laughs> no, the, the, the entirety of the issue, that's, that was my point, is that they, there's always this move to make sure that you never make alliances and that you never make connections. You're allowed to be in one box and one box only. And that box that you're in it had better conform to what the larger box says, the Constitution says, which the truth is it had nothing to do with any of us. Right. You know, it was a rich person's document and rich male, not just a person, rich male, because women had no rights. Right. And that didn't come about to what, 1975 with the Credit Reporting Act? I mean. Oh, so women are equal now? No. Oh, okay. Not... <laughs> but, but it didn't even begin to make any movement. I mean, we say, well, this one did this. Oh, but no, they used to be equal here. 
Yeah, equally bad. No. Equally bad. No, before white people showed up. Women, oh, were, well, women, women no, had but, equality but here. They yeah. didn't have to have a that constitution. Was part of that, that's part of that erasure <laughs> we were talking about. Yeah, they, hey, didn't, look, they didn't need a constitution. They, they understood what it meant to well, live and, and look, let, let's not put too much stock in the U.S. Constitution because, as I've talked about Peter DeRico's book, uh, Federal Anti-Indian Law, he makes it clear in his legal analysis, in, in, this, in, in all of the cases that he cites, there is no constitutional basis for, uh, for, for any of the policies and the relationship between Native people and the United States. It but is, see, that's it is, the point. But, I mean, They're no. going to keep saying, but it's, it's the Constitution, and that's what we have to look at, the Constitution. And that actually, no. They don't want you to look at the Constitution. If you look at it, you find out that, that, that exactly. most of the stuff is authoritarian rule. Hey, look, we're towards the bottom of the hour, so let me remind people that we, um, this is Resistance Radio. I'm John Kane with my guest, uh, Doc Shaw Bay. Um, and we're talking about the displacement of, uh, of indigenous peoples and the erasure of indigenous peoples from so many places, you know, across Turtle Island uh, and beyond, because we're, we're including what's happening in what's been happening in Hawaii since the, you know, since the, you know, since the dawn of the 20th century. So uh, that's what that's what we're talking about. I do want to get a chance, and I'm hoping that Reggie can hook us up with uh, with, with some phone calls here. Um, uh, I am out of my studio. I am sitting in in a in a rented house in in the Outer Banks, so I don't have all of the uh, my uh, accoutrements here. So Reggie, are are you are you with me still? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. I'm here. I'm right. just coming. I was just coming back from um, the other studio. Of course, I had to, I, the first time I call your name. You're you're in the other room, right? <laughs> Hey, Reg, give the, um, I don't have the number in front of me here. Uh, sure. Give the number for people to call in and, uh, and participate in the conversation, and, uh, and we'll start to build up the phone bank and we'll take some calls. Oh, absolutely. The number to call for those listeners out there that wants to uh, talk to John and Doc Shaw, you know, the number is 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Uh, just like last week, I have a feeling that there's going to be plenty of people that wants to talk and pontificate on what you have just said and what was said during this past hour so far. So again, the number to call is 212 212- Two zero nine two eight seven seven. And again, I, I am grateful for people who listen to this program. And uh, and again, I'm even more grateful for those who are willing to to pick up the phone, not only to call but to make contributions to the their Pacifica station. But I mean, last week, for instance, I had I had two callers who were not particularly happy with uh, with some of my representation. One of them was um, was opposed to my use of the expression "the pot calling the kettle black." Um, you know, look, I and I'm not going to defend that expression. If it if it bothered anybody, it's one that I will uh, I will probably take out of my uh, my vernacular. <laughs> but but the other one that that really had somebody bothered was I I created an analogy. We're talking about the mascot issue. I, I basically said you couldn't have black people be used as a uh, honored uh, and and used as a as a, uh, as a mascot, as a school mascot. The caller called in and suggested that that or actually said she was outraged that I suggested the use of black people from for high school mascots, which isn't what I did. And and so I kind of stuck to my guns on that one. I do think it would be outrageous to use black people for mascots. And you know what? It's outrageous to use native people for mascots too. And which was kind of my point. So, but which again, well, well, to I, siloing. 
Well, yeah, I mean, the caller kind of made my point by, by being outraged at the mere suggestion or the idea or the concept of white people honoring black people uh, by using them for mascots. And, you know, here's the thing, too. And, and this is the part that kind of got missed in the conversation. It isn't the idea of the name or the logo or the imagery. Part of the most offensive thing as a Native person for me about Native people being used for mascots is, is the identity theft portion of this thing. The fact that you've got white people running around calling themselves Indians or warriors or chiefs or that kind of stuff. And we never even got to that part of the conversation because, you know, when even when I have some black people who are not as bothered by the mascot issue as, say, I am, when I press them on issues like, but how would you feel if you had a whole school of, of, of white kids running around identi identifying themselves as black simply because of their mascot? And that then all of a sudden the floor drops out. Oh, no, that would be outrageous. And I say, exactly. But anyway, I don't want to dwell on, on one caller. I just wanted to mention that. Again, we, this is Resistance Radio. I've got Doc Shaw and myself here, John Kane. Um, we are talking about native displacement and erasure from huge swaths of, uh, of Turtle Island and, and, of course, in literature and everything and else. And all so. of African American <laughs> history. So, uh, Reg, we got anybody lined up yet? Uh, yes, we actually do have someone there. So, caller, you're on the air with John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. Tell us who you are. Tell us who you are, and where you're calling from. Hi, I just wanted to say my name is Donna, and I'm from New York City. And I wanted to say that we have to stop using color because we're not crayons. We have to say where we're from because people are so happy to say where they're from, and it's important to be proud of it. Don't just say, I'm black, because black is just a crayon. I say I'm American, and that's what I am, because I have no other country to go to, and I'm fighting right now for my people to get reparations, and my family's from Mississippi, and we might not get reparations, I'm not sure, because... We, um, my ancestors, were Indian, and they owned slaves. So I don't know if we'll get reparations, but I just want people to know their history and read books instead of watching the Internet. So you're, su or, so you're suggesting that Americans need reparations? I'm saying the American descendant of slaves need reparations. Oh, because you, you made it sound like you were just American and you have... No well, other. we don't have a country to go to. Because if you say go back to Africa, Africa is a continent and it has countries there. You know, like, what are they talking about? Go back to Africa. No, we are American. Debbie Thomas, the figure skater that they want to talk bad about, she was on Oprah. She's an American figure skater. American black, might as well say, because that's what they want you to say, figure skater that became a surgeon. Not just a figure skater, a surgeon, um, removing hips and fixing people's um, knees. And nobody talks about her. But they love to talk about um, Tanya Harding, you know, and all these other ones Oprah interviewed. But she never gave Debbie Thomas her interview. Let me get back to you. Let me get back to I wanted to ask you again about uh, your, your reparations comment because you, 
you said you wanted reparations because you're a descendant of uh, the people who had been enslaved. Um, then you mentioned native people taking slaves. What's the significance of that comment? Are you saying that your families were enslaved by native people? I'm talking about my family history. We had made, we had Indians, um, um, slave owners. Wait, 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 who's we, who, who's we? You said we had, I'm you mean black, uh, you're, you're not, saying the descendants of slaves had and everything like that. Just read the history and Indians own slaves. Okay. They, they all, own. Uh, all right. All right. Okay. See, this is, this is where we get into, into problems here. I mean, that's, you know, it's like, but no, we're going back to exactly what we started off with. And we thank you for the call, by the way. We're going back to exactly what we started off with. When you get into a system and you step into it, and it's not your system, and you step into it because of wanting to belong and wanting to grow in a system, like people will tell you all the time that Africans had slaves. People had servitude. Servitude is not the same as slavery. And what we're talking about is the institutionalization of your place in society as in caste. So no, we don't want to get caught up with name calling of crayons. These are misnomers. We all know it. There's no such thing as race. Everybody should know that by now. There's only one race, the human race. You can't mate with a horse. Okay, that's scientific. You just can't mate with a horse and produce something. But what we're actually talking about is getting involved in how this country, shall we say, rolls. Well, and I guess, I guess to my point, because I, I wanted to address the caller's um, comments, and you know, she suggested that, that she doesn't know if she can get reparations because Indians had slaves. I mean, that was, that was the comment. And, and, I, and I'm bothered by that because, I mean, it, again, we hear the same thing. Oh, well, Africans were enslaving them, each other. That's how you know, that they sold their own people into service. And most of this stuff is crap. I mean, most of the, the chattel slavery industry in the United States was, was clearly white people. And I know we're not going to use crayons, but I'm sorry. And it was clearly created by, no one else had that. And let's keep no, in yeah, mind. Yeah, but just be on that point, no other part of the globe had chattel slavery uh, developed in the, in the way that the United States, this young, burgeoning democracy, land of the free and home of the brave and all that other stuff, this is where chattel slavery was the number one industry. In fact, the number one asset of American industry in the 1860s was slavery. So make no mistake about it. So, you know, and similarly to Caribbean, the English, that whole greatness of the English stock. Well, and, and you know, I, I got into another debate, and I know, I know we probably have other callers lined up, but I wanted to also, I mean, it's, this is the same conversation. When I hear somebody say that, well, well, Indians had slaves, you know, I also got into a bit of a debate with somebody about Buffalo soldiers. Now, now, there's no question that black men who were offered all kinds of things, including freedom and, and land and everything else, if they would take up a rifle and go kill Native people, because that's what Buffalo soldiers were for. That's what they were for. They, you know, the Civil War was pretty much over, so this wasn't... So when Bob Marley sings about Buffalo soldiers, he's doing it as both... He, what he's trying to communicate is irony and sarcasm. So anybody says, oh, I love that song, but now I can't like it anymore because Buffalo soldiers were bad. No, what he's singing is that there were people stolen from Africa, sent to the United States, enslaved, and then became Buffalo soldiers, 
fighting to win the war. What war is he talking about? He's talking about black people being en enlisted specifically to kill other, you know, to oppress other people. So and keep in mind, again, what are the terms? Do you know what you're going to be? When you say they, uh, First Nations people had slaves, uh, what are you talking about? When you're saying the Buffalo soldiers, yes, they were enlisted. They were also, in most cases, lied to, hook, line, and sinker. Well, it was you the know. only place they were used. They, they, weren't, they weren't allowed to be normal enlisted men. In fact, right. in fact you can get well into uh, uh, the World War I, World War II, you know, into, the, into Vietnam, and there was still segregation going on in, in the military. So, right, but how many so-called black people knew what a First Nations person even was? Where they <laughs> were going, yes, they were definitely going to kill your soldier. So that we know for sure. But to now tar and feather everybody with, well, those black men went to go kill First Nations people. Well, you know, and again, I, I don't harbor the, the animosity towards black people because of Buffalo right. Soldiers. I know they were victims as well. Reggie, I, look, you do a lot of stuff with music uh, at WBAI. Give me your thoughts on what is your understanding of both, because I, we got to address Bob Marley's song because I think people take it out of context. What's your thoughts on this? I, I, you're correct, John. I think that song is totally misunderstood. I think he was looking at it in an ironic sense on it. And I think that that's one of those songs that totally gets misinterpreted as, you know, as a matter of fact, I mean, like there was, there was layers, there was layers to that song and, and was commenting on the audacity and the irony that, as you have just said, that here, a bunch of people that was forced to go on that cruise to pretty much set the foundation for this country and then for their freedom, quote unquote, they have to attack yet another group of people that did nothing to them. Right. And I think that that's where the irony of that is. It's like, and who's playing, the, and you know, and who is, who is tugging the strings, who had control of the narrative? Right. It was neither group, right. you know? Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Reg, what, what do we got? We got any more callers lined up? Yes, we do. We do have more callers. And uh, caller, you are on the air with John Kane and Doc Shaw for Resistance Radio. Tell us who you are and where you're calling from. That is you, sir. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Tony from the Bronx. Hey, Tony, so, good to hear from you. You're outstanding. And I want to say you guys are doing a smash-up job. But um, I'll make it as brief as I can to say I think it's important that we not get, like, the best word, and I've heard it used with all of you so far, is layered. Layered. This thing is so layered. But uh, there comes a point when you're running out of time and you have to stipulate what has happened. And the, the best part, the best way to describe it is majority. And by Wow, by a, a, a long shot, blacks, enslaved blacks, blacks hunted Indians, Indians hunted uh, blacks, and Indians enslaved blacks. And this is understood. But what percentage? Very, very, very small. The great majority of profit was made in the way we understood it, which is Europe got over like a fat rat by exploiting the native uh, situation and by importing natives. That was by, what, 80, 90%? The rest, of course, you had a 10% population of blacks who were doing poor, behaving poorly. Of course, you had a 10% of 
Native Americans who were behaving poorly. And this can be spoken. What are you talking about, 10%? And the other 90% that got incredibly Jeff Bezos rich, trillionaires almost from different industries, whether it be uh, the, 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 the sugar, this, that, the other, that's the real issue. And people who lost their entire language, their entire culture, these are the, the, the that type of rape. So you can, you layer, you're going to find Indians who uh, American uh, native well, and, and, and let, let me let, let me weigh in here because I don't want don't want I don't want to belabor the point, but it is clear that the most assimilated native people may have uh, participated in uh, in some of that slave trade, and, and the most not 10%. Uh, and and, and 10% the mo- yeah we're talking about one much more most max. today native people only represent one tenth of one percent of the United States population, so the percentage. Black people represent about 13 percent or thereabouts, but and 70 percent of Africans in America have Native ancestry. Okay, so we we're talking about a system, and we we must not get off into sidebars when we look at about a system. We must look at it systemically and speak on it systemically. This is a system, and it's still the caste system is in play, and well, we have to admit that. Well, and, and, and I guess, neither of us created. Yeah. And, and my, my point being here is that, you know, the vast majority of Native people were never, I mean, in fact, many Native people were enslaved as well. The first slaves, okay, the first exactly. transatlantic slave ship were, were Native people being brought back to Spain, not, uh, mm-hmm. not Africans coming from, from the west coast of Africa. I, I, thank, I thank you for the call. I, I really appreciate it. Um, we got time for about one more call, right? What do you yes. Um, caller, you're on the air with John Kane and Doc Shaw um, for Resistance Radio. Tell us who you are and where you're calling from. That is you. Hi, it's yes. Cruz. Hi, this is Cruz from Central Harlem. John, I love your show. Thanks. <laughs> love your show. Um, I have an issue, and it's not only you, most people, um, when they're talking about the United States, they need to say the United States, not America. And I know you use the term Turtle Island. I use that too sometimes. Um, I'm Boricua, Puerto Rican, and uh, it should be because there are like Central, South, and North America. So if you're talking about the United States, it should say the United States because that's the power that we're talking about that's trying to take over most places. The other thing is, I wanted to say that what you were speaking about Hawaii, I think that was a, a master plan that they transported not only to Hawaii, but uh, Puerto Rico and uh, Santo Domingo and I guess to Cuba at some point. So it's like a one size fits all. And the last thing is, I would like us to maybe have on BAI a show where we unify, like, Native Americans from the United States and the Caribbean, different nations, so we could show the similarities and how they kind of done this master plan into like everybody's to colonialize everyone. So yes. Well, I, thank I, you again I, for letting me speak. I appreciate that, and you know, look, and, and thank it, you. You look at the the period that they call the Spanish American. War. That is really when the United States went into, uh, you know, ultra imperial, uh, imperialistic mode, and that's when, you know, places like Puerto Rico and Cuba, getting into the South Pacific, including Hawaii. It is all during that period of time that the United States 
asserts this global, begins to be assert, assert their global dominance um, in, in terms of taking all they can take. I wanted to mention one other thing. You know, I, I've also got to talk about Long Island because there's a lot of native names when you go out through Long Island. And there's only two distinct native peoples that are left, the, uh, the Uncle Chugs at Puspatuck and the Shinnecocks. And they are very, very marginalized, and, uh, you know, but, they, but they're there, and they still exist. And you know, as we're battling some of these, these schools, especially in Long Island, who are fighting like hell to keep their native mascots, you know, they, we, we still ignore the, the, the almost complete erasure of native people. So as much as I can talk about the Outer, outer Banks, we've got to acknowledge how much erasure has taken place, not just in Long Island, but in New York City. Uh, there's essentially, I mean, other than those two small communities in, in Long Island, native people have been erased from, uh, from everything, you know, uh, from Westchester County and below. For sure. And so. we have to remember, again, none of us were really in silos. We were all being hunted and hunted down. And we can't forget that this country was founded on not just the ideas of hard work and all that. That's a nice idea, but it's not the facts. The facts are it was trying to be a world power from day one. Right. I mean, and, and that's, you know, even their, their rebellion from Great Britain was about them feeling stymied in terms of uh, grabbing more lands, uh, increasing, you know, slavery. I mean, I, I, did you did you happen to see that cartoon that uh, that uh, Prager University put out oh, where they oh. where they got Frederick <laughs> Douglass as a cartoon character, basically justifying slavery, saying, "Well, slavery was bad, but um, um, the unification of the United States was more important." Was and, and yeah, it was a compromise. <laughs> <laughs> did you see the thing, Reg? I, I did see that, and that was just—I I don't even know what to say about that. I—I I, I just, I, man, we're in but, a sad, sad state. Yeah, but that's <laughs> the actual saying. thing that's happening. Yeah, and they, that's they, what has yeah. been happening. We didn't notice it much, but that's what's been happening from day one. Mm -hmm. Little mm -hmm. adjustments here and there, so the mm -hmm. story gets told totally. Well, see, this is about erasure and rewriting history, and this is part of what my show is geared towards: trying to correct some of the narrative, or at least offering a counter narrative to it, what everybody is hearing. Because I think it's really easy to oversimplify. You know, you know again, Indians had, uh, Indians had slaves. Well, Indians were slaves. Native people were slaves. And I'm not saying well, that every black had... man was a Buffalo soldier either. Yeah, but black people had slaves. Well, so-called black people had slaves too here. People. Well, and, and, and look, does, we can does still- Does that mean that we were, I mean, literally in America. Does no, that mean we were somehow up with the system? I mean, please be. We're see and we're seeing dispossession. I mean, again, not picking on Oprah any more than Mark Zuckerberg or, you know, uh, Ellison or anybody else, but yeah. It's called forced assimilation. That's okay. what it's called. It's forced assimilation. You want to go along to get along so they won't bother you, but, you know, promises in this country, well, has a track record of uh, not being held. And, that, and that's, <laughs> that's the last chapter. The first chapter is displacement, <laughs> eradication, and all that other right. stuff. But assimilation is what, the, what comes last. And they hope by overwhelming us with population and with everything around us that that's, that's where we get to. I want to thank Doc Shaw for joining me this week. Uh, I want to thank Reggie, as always, and thank you, the callers who've joined in. Again, support your Pacifica station. And uh, hey, if you are a, vo a voting member, vote in the elections uh, uh, for the Pacifica uh, uh, LSBs. I, I greatly implore you to do so. This is John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. Nyali. Chow, 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 chow.